Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are my friends calling in from Indiana, Krista and Greg Evans. Welcome to the podcast, you two. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having us. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> I like that. I like that, yeah. Greg. Um, I became aware of the Evans this week when I came across a Facebook post where they talked about um, their wonderful son, Luke, who died um, of suicide in November of 2019, roughly a year from when recording this podcast. Great young LDS man, age 17, would be 18 now. And then I went to Krista's Facebook page and read some of her blogs about her fine son and about mental health. And I just reached out to Krista and Greg and said, would you be willing to talk about Luke on the podcast? And they said, yes. And this is a great way to honor Luke. And we said a prayer before we started. And I just pray that you'll um, feel the love and the insights and the spirit of Greg and Krista as they talk about Luke and and the healing understanding of the atonement, their in, insights into mental health, their insights into difficult issues that can help all of us come together. So they're really brave and courageous We um, to do this. And um, tell us, first of all, what part of Indiana you're, you're joining us from. You want to share? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we live in uh, Plainfield. It's a, basically a suburb of Indianapolis. So, and we grew up around here. We grew up, we're born and raised uh, yeah. Hoosiers. Call ourselves Hoosiers. <laughs> yeah, we've lived all over, but we're from here and we're, we've been here now for several years. So. How did you two meet? Um, we met right in, um, through the Young Single Adult Program in our church. So we yeah, met we, at a church dance. Yep, church dance. The old-fashioned way. <laughs> attended institute classes together and and. So we, we often tell people the program works. So. Yeah. That is great. <laughs> and is this high school or is this after high school when you first met? Um, after. So we went to different schools and um, I didn't really know you until after your mission. But so we were going to different colleges around Indianapolis and we met through the young single adult program. So I was just out of high school actually when we first met and felt way too young. And I was <laughs> I was uh, only like. I don't know, a week, week off my mission, and I was a nervous wreck, and yeah. <laughs> my brother introduced us, and she seemed too young at the time. <laughs> I felt too young. I thought, yeah, it would be years before I was married, and I, I don't know, I guess it was probably a total of a year and a half after we first met that we were actually married. So That is great. So, yeah. Tell, introduce your four children to us. Go for it. Um, our oldest is Kate. Um, she is she just turned twenty um, in September, and she's on a mission. She's in Arizona um, for she's been out for a year now. So Spanish speaking mission. Though. Yeah, she got trained in the Mexico MTC and is now in Arizona um, and, and loving it. Um, and then Luke is our our second. A child. He's um, he and Kate were 22 months apart, um, so they pretty much went through life together. Um, and then 
Um, and he would have been a college freshman yeah. this year. Yeah, so he had uh, his birthday would have been in July, and that was his 18th birthday. Uh, so he was a senior um, when he passed away. Um, and then Bryn um, is 15. She's a sophomore this year. Um, and so she and Luke were actually in, in the same high school together last year. Um, and then we have our youngest is Ryan. He's 11 and he's, he's he'll be uh, moving up in the ironic priesthood. This yeah. Year. He's a no, sixth grader. He's, turn in, of the year. <laughs> he's in middle school now. And so he's still a, an infant to me, but he's, he's 11. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a beautiful family. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Beautiful family. And, um, um, love all four of your kids. Talk about Luke and just sort of, as I've read some of your blogs, um, you know, just you started to recognize depression and mental illness. Just talk with us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I would say, um, I mean, in some ways, he, of all of our kids, he was kind of wired a little differently. Like we always kind of knew he was a little bit different. He, he had a lot of anxiety off and on. Um, yeah, I think we had his second grade teacher one time pulled us aside and like, he's, he seems a little bit um, anxious and mm -hmm. we hadn't really paid that much attention to it, but then we could kind of see, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, off and on. I mean, he was able to do everything. He was great in school, really smart, really smart. Um, all of our kids are high achievers, but um he started having really when he really started having problems was um, in high school. I think his high school years were just just really hard for him. I think puberty and and high school and the social stuff it just all hit at once. And and um, he went through a real hard time his freshman year with anxiety, and it got so bad that the end of that year we we actually got. Um, him a little bit of counseling and and ended up getting him on medication to help with the anxiety. And um, and then his sophomore year was a little bit better. The medication seemed to help, but I we've talked about this a lot that the medication also had some side effects and he just seemed a little more emboldened and a little bit um, uninhibited. Uninhibited. And see, he's a very thrill seeking. Like he loves adventure. He loves just experiencing lots of different things and and that's a great part of his personality but he it just it seemed a little more yeah. than usual even that year he seemed a little risky I don't know and we, just, we feel like he he kind of made some decisions that that um he normally wouldn't have made that might have embarrassed him things like that that were unfortunate but they they kind of contributed to the anxiety after that because you know, it, it was like a catch-22 with the, you know, the, the medication helped with the anxiety, but it, it also kind of... It lowered we, his inhibition. Yeah. That's a really good way to say it. So he had a rough year that year just because he he did. And then, so then we got, he, he um, we all kind of agreed that we could try getting him off the medication. And so we did, and, and he did fine. And his junior year was Really good year, actually. Mostly it was a good year. He still had some anxiety here and there, but um, uh, 
but he was involved in lots of different things. He was always wanting to be involved. Music was his passion. So, you know, orchestra, piano, he just wanted to do it all. In fact, he, he wanted to literally learn every, like we had to put limits on what we could take him to and be in because yeah, we can't afford lessons for everything. And we had three other kids and needed, yeah. like we couldn't be in five places at once. So we, um, we had to put limits on the number of instruments he was learning yeah. as a Truly. high school. What a unique yeah. young man. Yes, very much. And um, so going into his senior year, he'd come out of a really great year just being involved. I think he was happiest. He, he was kind of an intense kid in a lot of ways. And so he's actually happiest when he was involved in lots of things. He just needed his brain to be occupied and learning yeah. stuff and, and just- And he, he got was... his first job. He was, he, mm -hmm. loved, he, he was always, um, this is the neat kind of story about him. He, he was the kind of kid that he, he would always shoot for the moon, you know? And he, he, um, he looked at like what where all of his friends were working and how much they were getting paid, and he realized that the highest paying job around was Walmart cashier. And so he applied for Walmart cashier just because he wanted to make the most money. and And he got that job, and he he was always trying to get promoted. And he yeah, he wasn't eligible for any promotions because yeah. of his age. And and I he'd, told him that, and he, he he'd apply anyway. He wanted he just thought why I, what what does it hurt to ask? I mean, I want. So he was just a really yeah. ambitious and, and fun kind of kid in that way. And um, so he was coming out of a great year. He actually did, um, what was it he did that? Drum, that drum winter, corps or what, what they call winter percussion. Winter percussion. And, and he kind of got special permission to do that because he was actually an orchestra and he wasn't in band, but they, they wanted him to. And he didn't play the drums, but they needed a keyboardist they, for it. Yeah, so. they gave a special like really hard solo that he was featured in and so they made him part of the program and he loved it and and so we were feeling really good about about things um even though he'd had kind of a hard high school career up to that point but going into his senior year we were just feeling so good and and that that middle of that summer is when he really started showing signs of depression and it it just hit hard and fast and and um and we can go into more details, but that's when it started. That's when kind of the beginning of the end really for his journey was. So I don't know what, what you want us to go into at this point. Um, I Thank you for just telling us about Luke. And um, as I read his obituary, and we'll link to that in the podcast, I encourage, it's a really well-written obituary. Did, whoever wrote that? My husband did. Greg, Greg did, did that? Um, that's something obviously no dad would ever want to write. No parents yeah, would ever want to do, but no. <laughs> it's just a beautiful obituary. When you talk about this um, Angel 5, Angels Landing, riding every roller coaster, braving level five rapids in West Virginia, all his musical inter interests, um, National Honor Society student, um, straight A. This is just a great young man. And I always yeah. like to use present terms when I talk about people that have died. Um, I don't like to use the word was um, in the past because I just don't feel that way. I feel present terms. He is a member of your family. He is all these things still. And his mortal ministry is over, but his, his essence isn't changed and his eternal plan hasn't changed. 
and all these beautiful things you talk about them are still part of him. So that's just, that's not for you, the ovens. That's just for our listeners, how I try to approach um, someone who's, who's on the other side now. Talk about when things, and you kind of got into this, just when things um, you recognize this was really, because there were some, there were some things that happened that you realized, and I think did a great job of addressing. Uh, yeah, he, I, I um, was home more during the day and, and got to see him a little bit more. Um, often he'd work in the evenings when my husband would be home. So I started noticing um, sleeping a lot. He was sleeping and he was always one that could sleep a lot. He could nap and he could sleep all night. Like he was a professional sleeper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he gets that from me. He but... slept with the passion. Too. Yeah. I, we love to sleep. We love our sleep. But um, he started really sleeping. And I I finally just asked him one day, um, you know, are you are you depressed? And he said no. Um, and I really a lot of times when people hear the word depressed, they think of sad or, you know, feeling hopeless or these emotions. And I, um, it's definitely more than that. And so I think he was honest with me. I don't think he felt depressed. I think he didn't know why he was so tired. Um, well, and wouldn't you say sometimes, sometimes the word depression is kind of loaded. You, you assume yeah. if you admit you're depressed, then you're signing up for like weeks and months of therapy, et cetera. And I think yeah. Sometimes, you know, he he may a kid like him might not be really upfront with that because they're afraid what what might that mean, and I I don't have time for that, you know. Yeah. So he, I felt like he was probably depressed or something was going on, and so, um, but he was working and making money, and he was excited about all the money he was saving and making, and um, he he had um been a little bit stressed because he wanted to do that band the, that he wanted to do that winter percussion again but they were going to make him be in the marching band in order to do that again so um what it meant was it was going to be kind of a nightmare for his schedule he wanted to do it but it was going to be really hard and it was you know we talked about okay you probably can't have your your job if you're going to do marching band at least for these few months because it's just you know marching band is so rigorous of a schedule and so he had to make a decision and so I just thought that was probably stressing him out and he finally made the decision to not do marching band stay in the orchestra and do his job um and and he was in a, a area a youth orchestra as well Indianapolis youth orchestra that that took a lot of time too so yeah so again he, he was, was busy <laughs> he was always in so much so I I was actually relieved that he decided to not do the the yeah. band as well but it, it was a decision he made and I thought well he'll he'll feel better now that he's made the decision and he's making money which is what he wanted um anyway I think the start of the school year went okay um I actually remember going out to lunch with a friend and and saying you know this is the first start of a school year in his high school so this is the start of the senior year I said this is the first start of a school year that I actually feel good yeah. like nothing crazy Ironically. nothing uh, you know, difficult has come up with him. And I was so relieved. And, you know, the irony is painful, but I felt really good. And, and it wasn't but a few weeks into the school year that um, um, he, he actually made a um, kind of a, a suicide attempt, but it was 
not a real serious one, but it was enough that we, I don't know if you want to give yeah. more, more on that because you kind of dealt with that. Yeah, well, um, what, what's kind of neat is is our um, daughter, our other, or, or our younger daughter, Bryn, um, I feel like she really was in tune with the spirit during this time. And, and she would get promptings like, I need to check on Luke. Like we, um, this first time we were at um, Ryan's soccer game and, and Bryn um, had, a, she was home with Luke and she had a, an impression to check on him and she caught him um, in this first um, suicide attempt. And, and um, you know, she texted us and let us know what was going on and we hurried home. Um, yeah, we were at a soccer game with the yeah. younger, with Ryan. Um, and so we came home and, and we we had never dealt yeah, with we, anything like this. We had no idea what to do. I mean, he wasn't harmed, so um and but, I, yeah, I didn't I didn't really know what to do, but um we had I had had a conversation. I, I we were really close with our stake president and we had actually had a meeting with him I think just the day before or a couple of days really before. Really recent. Yeah. And so he he knew what was kind of going on um with Luke and everything and and I didn't know who else to call, so I called him. I said, "What do I do? This happened today." And and he gave me really good um, advice. He he said, um, "Call your insurance company. Ask them where to take him. Um, that they will cover." And so I didn't know to do that. So I I called the insurance company and said, "Here's what's going on. Um, where can I take him?" And they gave me a list of providers in the area and and. I just took him to one right then and they they gave them they were open 24 hours they they got him in right away for an evaluation and yeah so at this point he didn't need hospital treatment like he was fine but he needed a psychiatric evaluation um mm -hmm. and and this first one i i feel like they didn't they kind of we thought it was kind of a half-hearted attempt as well but they really I, they must see a lot of these and they just felt like it wasn't a too big of a deal just get them in some counseling and they gave and, us a list of counselors in our area that we could look into and yeah and so i'm trying to remember the timeline um did we get them into the program well, at that point or we well we actually we we tried to um get him into um a, just a counselor that they had given us from their list and um before we could get him set up with someone um, we got a phone call from the school counselor saying that another student had reported that he was talking about suicide at school. And so she said, you know, because of this, we really can't have him in school until you get him evaluated. And so. And this had only been a we, week, like we, less than a yeah. week since the first incident. So it was, we knew at this point, this is really urgent that he get real care and we had to get him evaluated ag again before they'd let him back into school and at that point that counselor felt like you know two incidents um where he's really talking about it or making some action toward this that's pretty serious so let's let's get him into um a treatment facility um and at this point they actually wanted him in the um partial hospitalization program um, where it's it was I think six hours a day for five days, well yeah. 
about a week, but um, yeah, I, I, he'd leave school. He'd go to a couple periods of school, and then he'd leave um, for for the rest for of, the rest of the actually, day. Yeah, I think he missed most of school for that. Yeah. So, um, so he went through all of that, and and they evaluated him, you know, all throughout, and felt like he was making progress, and then. Um, he was about to be downgraded to the next level down, which is the intensive outpatient program, where it's just a few days a week, but it's for several, three hours each time. So, Meaning that they felt like he was doing a lot better. Yeah, that one week was very helpful. And then um, they were going to step him down to the next thing, which would last for several weeks. Um, before he got into that next level down, he made a very pretty serious suicide attempt and he ended up, we had to take him to the ER. Um, and he was in the hospital, um, you know, just for a day. And then he, um, the, they determined he needed to go into an inpatient facility um, that that, you know, he needed more care than, um, and needed to be safe. And so that, at that point he went in directly into um, a week of inpatient care at a psych, youth psych unit of the hospital. Um, and you're doing a good job. This is and one of the things that there's no owner's manual for this. I love all the decisions you're making. I love your stick presence advice. I just love how honest you are that you've never been prepared for this sort of situation. I think that would be true of me. And true of our listeners, so I, I'm, we're just all really grateful you're sharing your story. And I still think of this as a success story. I don't think this is um, as a failure story. I think you're doing, and I think you've done great decisions the whole way. And I think you'll help us to understand what was at the core of this is emotional illness. So yeah. it sounds like this inpatient was good, and that's a pretty dramatic thing. You've gone from anxiety to be you've gone from the beginning of the senior year with a lot of hope and a history right. of anxiety and some depression and now you've got a, a you know a wonderful son that's inpatient for a whole week after a suicide attempt to put him in the ER so this is really scary yeah and yeah. just yeah so go ahead and just keep and things kind of get better so go ahead and keep sharing yeah um and at this point one thing um we hadn't done at this point, we'd been working with the therapist and a psychiatrist. Um, when you go into that partial hospitalization program, they make you work with a psychiatrist. And um, they had felt at that point that therapy was enough for him, learning the skills and tools and trying to work through some of this was, was gonna be enough. Um, and then when he ended up in the hospital, um, they felt like, you know, obviously we're dealing with a severe depression and we need to also look at medication as another tool um, to help in this. And so at that point, um, we decided to, um, and he agreed, you know, to, to try medication as well. Um, and and I, I bring that up because um, everyone has different opinions on, on that. Um, and some wondered if, you know, the medication could have been a factor, a cause even of it. But, but one thing that we point out is he was suicidal um, before, the before he was ever on the medication. So it was something we felt needed to be added. And, and you know, we worked with a psychiatrist the entire time who was also getting to know him and 
and felt like this was another layer of support that we could give to him and it, and it wasn't going to be um, something they wanted to do forever, but it was definitely going to be a layer of, of treatment. And I just like to say that because I, we don't judge anyone for any of their, you know, how they make those decisions, but we do feel like it's, if, if you need it, it's absolutely, don't, yeah. don't feel any shame about it. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful tool. And, and so, so I think starting the medication and getting him all that help in the inpatient. Um, and then, and of course, after that, he stepped down to, to their intensive outpatient and did that for um, several weeks. And I, I think, I mean, we could talk on and on yeah. about that period, but we saw gradual improvement. And a big element of the outpatient program was um, working with the family too. They, they would have us come, I think it was, was it twice a week that we came um, for fam or was it once? Once a week. Once a week. Group. Group family yeah. therapy. So all of the patients and their, and their parents, the parents would be there. Yeah. And um, as part of that, they had you write a family contract where you kind of work together on, you know, here's, here's, um, you know, what's, what kind of restrictions we need to put to help you. Um, just various things that we all agreed on and signed. And then when, when he eventually came home, we would abide by that contract um, to help keep him safe. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what else you want to add. Yeah, so we were he was working to gain back trust, you know, for safety reasons, and 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 we were working on our relationship with him. I mean, it, it had become strained and um, for a while, but um, you know, again, not having a a manual for how to be a parent, we didn't know what normal teenage, right, you know issues with your parents and what what mm -hmm. is something more severe and and so that was something we were working on um it was our relationship trying to get back to a place that where he was able to be open and and share what was going on with him and um so we're we're making all these steps and and I do feel like it's always you know kind of two steps forward and maybe one step back sometimes it's it's not a perfect progression but we felt we felt concerned um but good like we felt like we were heading in the right direction and and all this time by the way that he was in this um treatment Kate our daughter our oldest was preparing for her mission she had gotten her mission call right before all this happened and she's yeah we felt bad we were really um, neglecting her as far as you know all the stuff you have to buy and all the things you have to do to prepare for a mission we were kind of like you're on your own right now. We we yeah. need to deal with Luke right now. So and she likes to be prepared and she likes to know what's going on. And it was just such a mess, the poor thing. And so, but we felt good. Like we sent her off. I, I don't think I would have sent her off on a mission. She wouldn't have wanted to go if, if if we thought we were just weeks away from, you know, our son passing away. So we felt like things were heading in a in a we were. I guess you kept and saying he, we'd turn the corner. We felt like we'd yeah. turn the corner. And he'd gotten released from the outpatient. Um, what did you call it? Uh, it In, intensive out. Intensive IOP. Yeah. I've learned all these terms there, now. He, he he met all the all the milestones or whatever where they they said we think he's good to go home, but you need to make sure to get him established with the, you know, individual counseling, which which we did. Yeah, we and, we got him in with our 
um, a doctor to, to monitor the meds and a therapist to, to start the, the journey of more of the interpersonal stuff that he would be working through. And, and we, we knew it would be months, you know, probably the rest of his senior year um, of, of work, but, but we felt like he was, you know, like you said, meeting all the milestones and, and what's really, really kind of speaks to his character, Richard, is um, all imagine being pulled out of school in your senior year and doing all that therapy. He was missing all of his classes in his homework and and he he got really far behind. And I it when he got back, we met with the school counselor. Um, what do we do to keep him on track for graduation? Well, the school counselor and, was extremely concerned. Yeah, they thought, said, you know, he's in trouble. He's, he'll have to drop classes. Here's what we can do. He was trying to make a plan that would barely get, you know, Luke graduated. And, um, but Luke wasn't going to have it. He felt, he said, I can, I can catch up. Like, I know I can. And, and he caught up. He did. <laughs> and he caught our, up. Our oldest our oldest daughter was extremely smart, took all the same classes, and she said, there's no way I could have. He was taking AP classes, everything advanced. Yeah. Um, he did drop one class, uh, but it wasn't even going to affect. He was still going to get the academic honors diploma, even with dropping that class. So he, yeah, that's when I, that's why I say in, in all caps, like when I write about him, we were proud of him. He just, he pulled through. I, he just, I, he just makes it happen. And, and um, so he was on track. He was actually applying for colleges um, after he got out of all of, of, you know, his, the most time consuming therapy when he was able to start getting back into his classes and stuff. He also applied to four colleges. Um, I think he got accepted to at least one or two before he passed away. So I know I'm, I'm sure, but he ended up getting into all four. Um, and he wanted to study music. He and, was, yeah, he yeah. was going to be a, a piano performance major. So he, so also that year, he had talked to his um, the music teacher at school and asked, "What do I need to do to to be good, <laughs> like to play for college, to to audition for for colleges?" And she said, "You need to learn Rachmaninoff. Yeah, like the hardest." stuff to learn and he at that point because he was in so much stuff we didn't actually have a piano teacher for him um the last couple of years he didn't have a piano teacher he taught himself Rachmaninoff, Rachmaninoff several of those pieces and and he was preparing um so that's another thing that I feel like makes our story a little bit unique um he was totally planning for his future yeah he hadn't it didn't appear that he was giving up he he was making plans for the future and yeah saving his money and yeah yeah um i'm reading a little bit here as we're leading up to the day he passed away um in a blog post you um shared on the 18th of january of 2020 so it's roughly two months um he the reality is he died of an illness, depression. He did not choose this illness. He did not willing, he, but he did willingly go into treatment for it. It's an illness like cancer is an illness. Cancer is usually treatable, but sometimes the body does not respond. Or sometimes it can be in remission and comes back. It's not that the person wasn't fighting hard enough. It's a complicated disease. So it is with mental illness. Luke was fighting a life-threatening illness that took his life. There is no shame in that. 
In fact, considering all he was dealing with, it's amazing he kept up his grades, held a part-time job, and was involved in two orchestras. The week before he passed away, he performed at the Hilbert Circle Theater. He was also rehearsing with the Pitt Orchestra for the high school musical. He played the organ at church. The day before he died, he was trying. He was fighting. And we are so proud of him. And that's the only word in all caps, listeners, in this whole blog post is the word proud. We are proud of him. We didn't realize how much pain he was enduring. I think Luke has seen this blog post and knows your hearts and thoughts. And I think you talking about him like that leaves, helps him feel the same about him on the other side. And um, I loved, I just love that paragraph and your understanding of mental illness and how that's helping all of us and, and that he was doing well. I think the night he passed away, you know, he went to a four hour rehearsal <laughs> um, that yeah. evening. Um, I don't know if you want to, you did another, when I do posts with uh, parents whose son died by suicide, one of the things I try not to do is in my mind define him by how he died. There's a natural side of my brain that would want to know, well, how did it happen? And then as I've been in this space longer, I thought that's not really what I need to know (laughs) Um, because I want to learn about Luke. And I, so I kind of leave it up to the parents if how much they want to share about that actual day. You've done a whole blog post on that day. Um, it's dated July 9th, and you, you kind of go through everything that happened. I just, I'll just leave that up to you, what you want to talk about on November 18th, um, that actual day he passed away. Yeah, um, we can talk about the weeks leading up to it even. Um, sure, and that's yeah. fine too. He, I mean, he was, um, uh, even with all the other things he was doing, he decided he needed to be in the pit orchestra for the musical. So uh, this, this... Performing Peter Pan, I think. Yeah, it was. Peter Pan. Um, uh, he, the week before, um, well, the week before the musical was supposed to be is Tech Week, and that's the longest rehearsals. Everyone that's been involved in theater knows what Tech Week is. It's kind of a nightmare. Um, but so they were, rehearsals were from five to nine in the evening and, and Monday, um, the day he died, was the first day of tech week. And so he um, was gonna uh, go to that rehearsal. And actually we, at this point, we were only letting him drive. Um, he had his license and a car, but he, we were only letting him drive to school or to work um, for his safety. He actually cared a lot about school and he cared a lot about his making money. So those were places we felt pretty safe with him going. Um, and I will admit, sometimes I followed him to make sure he did go there. <laughs> but, um, and I'd, like, I'd drop him off at work. And then yeah. I'd run into Walmart and grab some milk just to make sure he was really there working. He caught me one time. He said, yeah. Dad, why were you following me like a police officer? <laughs> so, That's so great. But yeah, we love, we just felt like those were things we wanted to give him the chance to do. We felt good about that. But this was a rehearsal at the high school and he begged us to let him drive to it. Um, I don't think he, um, I think it was just because he wanted, he didn't want to be picked up um, when everyone else was yeah. driving home. And, and that, so 
we, you um, texted me at work. Um, then we kind of yeah, texted back and forth about it and we both felt good yeah, about it. Like was, it should be fine. This was the first time he had actually um, had an activity at the school that wasn't, you know, school or work. So there was no big consequence if he wasn't there. So we were kind of nervous about it, but we decided to let him drive. Um, and, you know, basically he didn't come home, um, but we did find out he went to the whole rehearsal um, and we have we have uh, we talked to some of the other uh, people in the orchestra and one girl shared that at one point during the rehearsal Luke had asked asked to borrow her pencil so that he could make notes in his sheet music and then another another girl who who had she used to be in the orchestra with him um, was texting with him because we've seen the texts on the phone and and he he said, oh, you should join the orchestra with us. And she was saying, oh, it's too late. And he's like, no, they'll take you. I'll make sure they, they let you. And he's like, you can so, learn it. Like, so all this stuff does not sound like someone that thought he was going to die that night. You know, he was. No, I, I really, I mean, we'll never know. That's the hard thing about suicide grief. But we really, all, all evidence points to he was not planning this. We feel like it was very much an impulsive decision, um, and and we don't know why. You know, there was no note, there was no anything. But um, and, and we have confirmation from the music director. He was at the entire rehearsal. He finished yeah, the whole. And the time rehearsal. the time of death definitely makes it clear he left the rehearsal, and um, and there wasn't much more. You know, that happened. So. Um, but in his car, the police searched his car and in his car, the only thing that was there was his cello and his music. Um, and that, you know, that pretty much sums him up. I mean, that was his life. And, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I don't very often talk about exactly what happened more because I just don't. Good. Yeah. And, I, I'm not, a, I'm not like. I think Luke would rather yeah. have you talk about his cello and the texting he <laughs> well, was doing that night to invite somebody in. And, we, and we were, I just think you honor Luke by, by not having to talk about that. Yeah. And, you know, he, he made, um, we just don't think he really planned this out. And, and the coroner, we were talking about this earlier. Um, the coroner said something odd to us. Um, when we went to get his things, she said that um, she she said sorry and, and she was sad for what happened. But um, she said that she had hoped that maybe the toxicology report would find drugs or something that would help give an explanation to it. And I don't know why she would thought that would comfort us or be a good thing. Um, but it was complete. We knew it would be clean. It was completely clean. There was no substance. You know, there was nothing found in his car and nothing in his body and and um you know again it was his cello and and actually inside and his music his peter pan music and inside the cello um was a little note card that he had yeah it was it was notes from uh president nelson's youth devotional he had taken notes and somehow shoved it in his cello case at some point and that was the only thing in the cello case that was all yeah it, it just I don't know, as a mom, it kind of warmed my heart that um, 
that that was in there. <laughs> like at least he had thought about that at some point and taken notes enough to, um, cause he struggled a lot. I mean, at, at the end, his, his feelings toward he, the depression just, it changed him and, and he was making progress, but we also saw signs that he um, had really been traumatized or, you know, I'm not sure what, what happens when, you know, depression starts darkening your mind, but um, he had questioned and, and finally decided, I, I don't think God lives. I like, I don't, I, I tried everything. I've prayed. I've done all these things to find out if he really is there. And I don't think he is. And um, we've subsequently found um, journal entries from that summer before um, where it was, it was evident that he was trying as hard as he could to gain a testimony. And we caught him a few times in his room praying. Um, oh, he'd get so mad. <laughs> he'd, get, he'd get embarrassed and mad, get yeah. out of here. But, um, but we, you know, we could tell he was making an effort and he was trying his he, hardest. Yeah, he was trying to figure things out. And, and, um, and so it was neat to see, I guess, in his cello case that that little card was in there, you know. Yeah. I love that. And I, a couple of things. And one of my favorite cellos is Stephen Sharp Nelson um, from the Piano Guys. And he happens to yeah. be our elders quorum president. And I just mentioned to him, I was doing this podcast. And, and he said, the fact that this, he sent me a text back for you guys. Oh. And I'd like to read just part of it to you. Um, the fact that Luke is a cellist will only sweeten this symphonic connection across the veil. And I love that, that Luke is still a cellist. And that that connection will be part of his connecting with you and his love of music and and that skill he takes with him to the next life. I'm also um, interested, you know, I love where you had several spiritual impressions, including your one of your children. Um, but the night he passed away, you didn't feel any of that. And you write, we were, um, things were much better now. Why didn't we get the same warning feelings this day? We will never know. Um, we did find out, like you said, he went to that four hour rehearsal and stayed the entire time. But somehow a loving heavenly father at times um, felt impressed in this situation and um, to not give you any warning signs. And I think that's just, to me, the beauty and the complications of this plan of salvation, because he could have, and he could have brought Luke home that night. We all know he had the power to do that. And he could have warned you. He could have, there was, and you'd done all the right things leading up to this point. You weren't perfect, but you did all the right things, I think. And you, inpatient, medication, counselors, just complete 24-7 dedication to this kid and and recognize he's doing better and he's functioning at a really high level and he's playing the organ in church. And and so any thoughts on why a loving Heavenly Father didn't um, step in on this night that he passed away? Yeah, that that's that's actually one I'm still wrestling with. And um I I feel like for me personally, like my my testimony's really taken a beating the last year. And it's honest. I I'm I still have a testimony and um I I talked to my bishop, I think just like last week he came over and we talked for like two hours and I told him some of the things I was struggling with, but 
I told I told him I feel like the core of my testimony is intact, but this this kind of set a set a nuclear bomb on everything else. And that's one that I don't understand why the Holy Ghost took the night off that night. It took it the just, night off. I like it that. It perplexes line. me so much. Like like why all these other times were we warned? And that night we we actually felt the opposite. We felt we felt calm and not to worry. And then yeah. um you know, Kate, our daughter, she's on a mission, and sometimes I feel like missionaries are just so close to the spirit, and maybe they have insights that we don't have, and she, she's, she also has changed a little bit through all of this, and she said, I really, I don't tell people that, that God will always answer your prayers. She said, I, I tell people and maybe I'm not quoting her right, but but the part I, I really like is she said, I tell people God has a plan. And so she said, if you pray for something and it doesn't happen, he has a plan. And so with Luke, I just feel like we don't know why we couldn't have stopped him that why we didn't feel those feelings or do something to intervene or why someone didn't intervene or, you know, but um, I do feel like in, in the moments, um, maybe the weeks after, um, when I really wrestled with that, um, I felt a lot of peace that God welcomed him home. And, you know, not that, not that his life was supposed to end then, or that that is the ideal in any way, but that God welcomed him home and that that was all in, you know, that was all Luke could do those 17 years. I, I don't know, like, we don't have all those answers, but I love my daughter's faith that, that God has a plan. And, what I, my testimony has been a little bit shaken as well, but my testimony of Christ has actually strengthened because um, I feel like the whole point of Christ um, being a savior is to give us hope. And that, that hope doesn't end out, you know, it's not just this life that we have hope to change and be better. Like that continues forever. So I, we feel like, um, you know, Luke was only 17. He had so much more of life to learn and grow and progress, but he's, he's just doing that now. He's doing it there. He's doing it on the other side. And his, his patriarchal blessing speaks of things that hadn't happened yet. And I, I believe those are yet to happen, you know, in, yeah, like in the just, next life for him. We, yeah. We feel like, you know, I don't know if this was the plan. Like, obviously we, that would be really confusing and but we feel like there is a plan. Like whatever happens, Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ can make, he can fix anything we mess up in our lives. He can fix anything that life itself, that just things that happen, you know, mental illness that just happens, you don't choose it. Like um, a lot of things that are just part of this mortal experience, they can be fixed, they can be worked out. And that's, that's where I put my faith. That's all I know. <laughs> Thanks for being so honest. I think uh, I would think most parents would ha share some of the same things you've had when, um, and I think you said take a beating, <laughs> Greg. I kind of like that. Um, I just think that's honest, and I I I don't know where that. I don't know if our culture kind of creates that if we do all the right things as parents. I call it the vending machine mentality. That if we put the right coins in the vending machine. Mm -hmm. 
and we press C3, which is kind of the outcomes we want for our kids. You know, those old fashioned vending machines where you can press the numbers like C3. And there's Mm -hmm. that little waiting period when you kind of watch C3 to see if it starts turning. And that's sort of the teenage years. And then some, most people, if they're all lined up in the vending machines, most of them are getting C3, but some parents get a different outcome and D4 comes out. And I think sometimes culturally we think we, we, we could, we can conclude we put the wrong coins in. It's our fault. And cause I think we kind of have this, <clears throat> you know, we want to do the right things as parents and you've done the right things as parents. But then when something doesn't come out, it's just, when I've got to take a little drink of water. It's um, difficult because I think we've sort of thought that if we do all the right things, all the right things will happen. And then we don't have the tools to sort of deal with that. And it, our testimonies take a beating. Um, But sometimes um, also our relationship with the savior and our understanding of the plan of salvation, loving heavenly parents also, it, it grows. So I just honor where you are. And I would never give you any advice because I've never, I'm not walking your road um, and just would sort of put my hands on the back, my your back and say, I trust you as you're walking a pretty complicated road. Um, and more thoughts. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of questions in my mind. I'd love to have you talk to other parents that are just on this road. You've been on this road for a year and it's a road obviously you don't want to be on. What advice would you give to parents that are just newly on this road? Um, Good question. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I'd say don't don't do it during COVID nineteen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well uh, said. Yeah, that's made it harder. Um, I think I think what I've learned about grief, and I've never had you know we've lost grandparents and things that are the natural kind of course of life that are sad, but not as complicated. I think I've learned that your, your body and your mind kind of tell you what you need. Like I, I learned to not worry if, you know, three months in, I had kind of a breakdown. I just had a really hard time about three months after and, and I didn't know why. And I learned like, it's not a linear process. And, and, you know, I, I needed to feel I felt just a lot of sadness and anger, um, you know, at different times. And and I've just, I've kind of learned whatever you're feeling, you need to kind of just let it, let it happen and let it get through you. And, and um, don't like be kind to yourself in all of this. You're, you're dealing with something that you've never dealt with. And, and I certainly didn't know anything. And, um, yeah, for me, for me, I think the spiritual side of it has, for me, has been the hardest. Like, um, it's become really hard to say a coherent prayer. Um, I mean, I still try my best to say prayers, but they, they just, my mind's all over the place. Um, church is, is really hard um, to go to. Um, and I just say, be patient with yourself. People understand. Like, uh, I think today was the first day we went back to church in person um, since COVID-19. And that that's actually been a good, um, a benefit kind of, I guess, to the pandemic is that we haven't had to 
be at church every Sunday. Um, we could kind of worship in our own way at home, and that's really helped me a lot. But I'd say if if you do feel a disconnect spiritually, to not beat yourself up over it, it's kind of part of it. And yeah, it's really honest, Greg. Talk about why going to church was is hard. Yeah, I was talking. I was trying to figure that out with my bishop, and I I think it's because um there's a there's a lot of things when you go through um well we we also we haven't really touched on this but another element is that our son Luke was gay and kind of that combined with um you know the way he died and just um all of those things bring a lot of um spiritual questions to the surface that maybe in the past I hadn't dealt with or I just put them on the shelf I'm it doesn't affect me right now. And now I have to think about them and work through them. And going to church brings all those bubbles, all those up to the surface. And it's painful and hard. And people will make comments that, that they don't intend to be hurtful, but they'll, you know, they'll hurt you. Um, and so well, it's, we're, we're a church that believes so much in eternal families and, you know, we started to question, you know, yeah, when we'd hear those things, or you know, like you said, if you do X, Y, and Z, then your family will, you know, follow the right path or whatever. Um, and maybe that's a formula we make up in our minds that's not reality, but we sort of think that. And so now we're like, well, we have, you know, suicide, and we have this, and we have, you know, and and he was losing his testimony at the end. And so, what does that mean for him? We just had all these things and all of these talks that used to be kind of comforting and feel goody all of a sudden hurt. Like they were actually painful. And I'd say also, um, we're, we're people that have, we've sacrificed a lot in church service. Um, Krista was, um, relief society president for three years. And then immediately when she was released as relief society president, I got called as elders quorum president. And that, that kind of went up until Luke's senior year started. And at that time, I, I kind of realized that things were starting to go south with Luke. And I talked to my stake president, whether I might, whether he thought I, sh I might need to be released. And, and he did end up releasing me. But when in both of our cases, when we were called to our callings, you know, we were apprehensive because of the time away from the family. And we were assured um, even promises were made, you know, your family will not suffer from this, you know, the sacrifices that you make in this calling, your family will not suffer. And we, it's kind of hard to, you know, how did my, looking at the result in our family, you know, that doesn't seem like that promise was fulfilled. It seems like we sacrificed that time that maybe we could have been spending more time with the family and maybe things might've been different. And so all of those things kind of combined to, to make church kind of difficult for me, at least. Uh, thanks for just being honest. I'm glad you feel safe enough to share that with me and with our listeners. I, my respect for both of you just kind of goes up when you're honest like that. I think really faithful Latter-day Saints deal with really difficult issues. and. There's no, and there's no way I could sort of, I, I could give you a platitude, 
Greg and say, well, it'll all work out in the next life, but your son's gone. Yeah. And you were promised that if that basically that wouldn't happen. And if I, I need to sit with you in that pain, if I'm going to help at all, instead of dismiss it or explain it away or send you a conference talk, I just need to sit with you and how painful that is and validate that and, and recognize I don't really know that pain directly, but it's real and it has to just eat at you at times. And I think that would just be my intuition. And to me, that doesn't drive any wedge between you and the church any deeper, whatever little wedge there is right now. It just, to me, might help you be able to move on and reconcile that in that sort of unreconcilable dichotomy of that experience. And what could, but help us understand if you open up with somebody, um, just give us some counsel or advice. What is the best things that we could say as you open up with some of those really complex, honest feelings? If you open up with a priesthood leader, a friend in the church, what can we say that's helpful? you have any thoughts on that? Um, I mean, what I've had to do with myself is be compassionate with myself and, and patient with myself just in terms of my grieving, um, you know, and so I would say for any, anyone else, be compassionate and patient with your loved ones that are, you know, that might be going through this kind of a, um, either grieving or even before, I mean, I felt like my trauma, um, was just as strong when Luke was in treatment as after he died. I, it threw us into a shock like I had never, ever experienced. And, and the reality that, you know, my son might not want to live or, or that could do this to himself. And, you know, in, in a weird way, after he passed, it was sort of a relief because we weren't worrying every day about, you know, was, was his life at risk. There was that a period day. Of, yeah, there was a period of time where it did feel actually a little bit of a, of a relief. That but, doesn't mean you yeah. don't love him and you don't want him there, no. but that's just an honest emotion. I, I get that. I think um, our, our bishop set a really good example last week. Um, he, he came and just spent two hours with me, just listening to me. And I didn't invite him. He, he, he just called and asked if he could come meet with me. And, and um, it was nice just to have somebody listen you know, without, like you were saying, don't give me a conference talk. Don't, don't tell me platitudes, just listen, you know, and it, it's mm -hmm. just talking about it makes me feel better just getting it out. And I think in the weeks after the most comforting thing that, that anyone ever did um, for me was whenever they expressed how sad they were that Luke was going through all this, like, you know, after he died, everyone realized how serious this you know how much he really must have been struggling and that comforted me more than I didn't need my own comfort I wanted someone to acknowledge the pain my son was in and it's interesting loving Luke was like meant more to me than than putting your arms around me and telling me because I I think I didn't realize enough or as much until after he died how how much he really was the turmoil in his mind and and so that was the most comforting thing to me was when people said you know I'm so sorry for what Luke must have been going through 
I think my grief for the first few months was more focused on him and grieving him, his pain, not so much my own. Yeah, and I, I think I, w- I would add, um, you know, that I, I, you know, I've been a home teacher for years being in the church, and what's the last thing you say at the end of every home teaching visit? It's, you know, what can we do for you? And usually they say nothing, um, but, you know, you, you get a lot of that after going through what we have, um, what can we do for you? And I think we don't, we don't really know what you can do for us. You know, we, I, I, I mean, I'm just grieving. I don't know what I need and don't need. The, the kind of things that have meant the most to me have been when people just do something, you know, we had, um, we had a family, um, um, for Luke's, uh, Luke was a senior, um, and they, because of COVID-19, you know, everybody was concerned that the seniors weren't having a normal graduation, and, and that was hard for us, because we, we knew our son wasn't going to be at graduation, so, um, but they were doing a lot of things um, to make the, um, the seniors feel, feel special, since their senior year was different, and um, the school came out and put yard signs in every senior's yard, and they included us. That's cool. And then, yeah, and then um, a uh, one of the families at church who had a senior, um, they realized because they were doing something where they were sponsoring other seniors, and they'd like bring a care package to this, you know, another family's senior, and this other family remembered us and brought a care package for Luke with. It had like types of candy that he liked and, you know, just, it was so thoughtful. What they would have done if, or what someone would have done if he was alive, all the cutesy fun stuff that he would have liked. And if they had asked, what can I do for you? I wouldn't have said, please bring us a care package or put a yard sign in our yard. You know, I wouldn't, you know, you would have felt weird even asking for something like that, but it was so touching that they just did something, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I love those stories. I love the idea that everybody is remembering Luke and loves Luke and how healing that is to you. Yeah, people want to reach out to you and help you, but but I love the way talking about Luke, honoring Luke, acknowledging the pain that he felt and the goodness that he is somehow is healing to you. That's that's very helpful for me. I love what you wrote about Luke being gay in um, this post, Krista, um, in January. Another factor we want to share is that Luke was gay. He was not dating. He was only semi-open about it. He was still trying to figure out that part of himself. We had known for several years, and he was open with us about it. I think it's a credit to you, by the way, that he felt safe enough to open up to you. So, And it sounds like he was 15. Um, Now I'm back to the blog. Um, He was not very public about it, would sometimes deny it. If asked, we were never ashamed of him for being gay. He knew he loved us unconditionally. We didn't share this publicly because he was al- at, when he was alive because it was his story to share. We share it now, so there is we we will state there was no widespread bullying that we're aware of or has been rumored, but rather some isolated incidents. And his sexual orientation was not a major factor in his treatment. There were many other factors. And that one was towards the bottom of the list. So, so please don't assume that this is why he took his life. Suicide is not that simple. 
There is no one reason. The simplest reason in Luke's case is depression and mental illness. Mental illness defies logic. Sick brains process things differently than healthy brains. It's pointless to say, why didn't someone just tell someone or fill in the blank? And so I love that. And I love just you brought that up, um, Greg. And I think somehow Luke, it honors Luke that you publicly talked about this part of himself. Because I think it, I just believe there's more of a connection between both sides of the veil. And Luke is continually aware of how you talk about him. And the fact that you talked about him being gay and that you're not ashamed of this, I think is somehow helpful to him. That this is how you, you love every bit about this kid. Um, and you talk about every bit of this kid, and I think it helps heal him. I think he's hurting a little bit. Um, he misses you. He recognizes the mental illness and what resulted. And I think you're healing him with these blog posts and talking about him and bringing honor to him and these pictures. And I just think it's, uh, it's painful. <laughs> um, but I think it's wonderful what you're doing. Um, any more thoughts on that subject? Um, and I love your bishop just came by and spent two hours with you. Um, and yeah. he just listened. And I just, I think that's just ministering 101. Um, you asked if we had any additional thoughts, not necessarily on his sexual orientation, um, but just like what you were saying about continuing to, you know, tell his story and you know he's he's still like you said he he's he's still with us I, maybe you said that before we went on air but um but we talk about him in the present tense um and something that has been important to me Chris has been doing more of the blogging I've been doing more of making sure anything that he's earned in life that I follow through and make sure that he gets that thing so the first thing was um, I talked to the school about, can he get a high school diploma? He, he died right before the end of the first semester, and they determined that he'd done enough to earn his high school diploma. And um, so I worked with the school, um, and it was an unusual graduation this year. It happened in July, and it was outdoors at the football stadium. But they called his name along with the other graduating seniors. And Luke Evans. I feel like if I hadn't have kind of fought for that, I don't know if it would have happened. Um, another thing is um, that's cool. One of the colleges that he applied to, I think they found out that he had died. And so they never sent a response. Um, and so I decided I wanted to find out if he had gotten in. And, and so I wrote to them and, and they um they they said oh yeah he's he would have been admitted and so um like like a lot of us with covid-19 they they were working remotely but they made the effort to send um some people back into the office to put together a welcome packet for him <laughs> that's so cool out. so so he officially got accepted to all of his um Tell us the name. Tell us the name of some of those colleges he got accepted to. Um, it was that one was Indiana University, um, which was one of his top choices. Yeah, yeah that was really cool. And that's I I actually got my MBA from there. So is that I'm in Bloomington? Old... Where is that located? Yeah, Bloomington. Okay. Yes. Um, he applied to University of Indianapolis and got in. Um, 
Butler University and mm -hmm. then um, Ball State University, mm -hmm. all, all local Indiana, Indiana schools. But he got into all of them. And, um, and then uh, the other thing I, I um, really was important to me was making sure he got his temple work done. And um, shortly after he died, we, we um, saw the, well, actually it was at the funeral, we saw uh, the temple president and we asked him about that. And, and he said that, um, that if the bishop approved it um, based on Luke's worthiness, um, before he had died that we could do the temple work right away <clears throat> and so we were able to do that um, um, actually um, Kate our our missionary daughter had to come home for a while because she had gotten sick on her mission and in the in the six weeks she was home we got that temple work done and she got to um, be there for that so who is proxy for Luke uh, I was that's cool and, and that was special because um, not just Obviously, it was special, but um, I realized that I had participated in every ordinance that he'd ever received from blessing him, baptizing, confirming, um, uh, ordaining him to the priesthood and his temple ordinances. Every single one, um, I was the participant in it. So, wow. So that, you yeah. know, that's really cool. And I I thought of Luke as you were talking about, and I I've kind of tried to imagine Luke on the other side, and the feeling I got from him is just love for his dad and mom for all that they do continue to do for him, and what a great I think you still have emotions on the other side of the veil, I don't think those go away. I think we're still human on the other side of the veil, and you're still his parents, and he really loves you, and so when you do those kind of things. And maybe we still doubt sometimes on the other side of the veil. Do they really love me? Will they forget me? <laughs> um, and to see those kind of things and to see the temple work and my dad was proxy for me. I wonder how many people Luke told on the other side of the veil that how cool is that? My dad was proxy for me and kind of one-upping people perhaps. I don't know. If, <laughs> but that's pretty cool. And And telling people he got into these colleges and and that his name was read at his high school graduation, and he wasn't forgotten. And I just, I think that's really cool. And I think it helps heal Luke and just knows that you're an eternal family and how grateful he is. And, and I think he probably knows that, you know, this was mental illness, and he knows that his agency was not there, but he knows the pain it's caused. And I think he's, grateful for the work you're doing to continue to try to heal from this. Talk about the blog. Tell us the blog name, because I want people to read your blog. Um, Krista? Yes. Um, it's evansdailygriefing.blogspot.com. Uh, thank you. Dot com. Um, the play on daily briefing, yeah, so <laughs> but yeah. daily griefing, Evan's daily, daily griefing, griefing.blogspot.com. Um, and I just, I started this total, totally um, self-serving reasons. I just needed a place to process my grief. This was so complicated and my emotions were so everywhere. And I just needed to like work through some of it. And um I, I wasn't ready for therapy. I 
everyone has to do things at their own timetable. And I just felt like I just, if I could process through writing a little bit, but I thought it was just going to be for me. And I really thought a few of my closest friends and, and maybe our family members would read it just out of curiosity. But I, I've been really um, overwhelmed with how many people it's connected with and how many people feel like I'm helping them and I'm educating. I, I had no intention of doing any of that. It was totally for me. Um, I just, and I kind of wanted to tell our story, tell Luke's story. And, and I did want to honor him. And, and I, I did feel at times a little bit defensive and I, I wanted everyone to know I am proud of him. I'm proud of every part of our journey. It's not something I feel like we should hide or keep um, quiet about. And anyway, so that's why I did it, but I'm just, I'm honored and, and feel grateful that anyone is reading it at all. Um, and, and just how many people have connected with it and told me thank you for it anyway. So uh, I guess I'll keep doing it. Keep doing it. I think it honors, I think you're doing it for all the right reasons. And I, as I read the responses to your blog, there's just a lot of other families that have lost one to suicide and they just get it. And you're yeah. helping them with the things you're teaching. And those of us that um, aren't on this road, you give us great insights. One of the insights you gave me that I'd never picked up is um, September 10th is World Suicide Prevention Day. But tell our listeners why you like the word awareness better than prevention. I I do. And I never thought of it before we went through all this, but um, prevention really is, um, I don't, it's a little bit guilt inducing for those of us who have actually you right. know, worked, worked our tails off to keep our kids healthy and alive. And I, so I do feel like, um, I think it's okay to admit that you can't always prevent um, you can do everything you can do. And the per Luke, Luke himself, I, I think he would have prevented his own demise if he could have. I truly believe he was fighting and, and working hard and, and yeah. um, in a moment of weakness, a moment of whatever, you know, whatever happened in his mind, he just couldn't stop it. And I really believe, um, I really believe he would have, if he could have. Um, and so I love that prevention sort of implies that you can control an outcome. And I don't think that's part of mortality. And I, yeah. I love the way you teach that. And I doesn't mean you don't want to talk about it and you don't want to, you want to mm -hmm. just put everybody's mm -hmm. head in the sand and not talk about it. But I love that it's awareness and it's education. And that's what's, that's what you're doing. Um, one of the most, I've shared this a little bit on the podcast, but sometimes I just get to the 40,000 foot level, the plan of salvation. And that happened once in a blessing to a YSA who had gone to Afghanistan as part of that military assignment, knew he had bombed people, rightly so, but he probably took innocent life. And he was just grieved about that. He probably knew innocent mothers and children had died as part of his military assignment. And he did what he it's an honorable assignment. He got that, but he just grieved. And as I gave that blessing, I had no words to sort of relieve this for him. But then the words came to my mind that no one's eternal plan or no one's eternal possibilities had changed because of what happened in Afghanistan. That was the actual phrase. No one's eternal possibilities had changed. Mortal possibilities had changed. No mm -hmm. question. Um, and that maybe is 
I don't want to give you a platitude because that's sort of a platitude mm-hmm. and just saying everything's be okay, you know, eventually. But I do sort of, uh, that's the way I feel about this is that all your hopes and dreams that you've ever had when you held this little kid as a newborn baby, that I think if heavenly, our heavenly parents could tune in the podcast, you know, Greg and Krista, I think they just, they, I think they just say, keep hold, those dreams are still intact. And that every hope you've ever had, why some of the mortal hopes have obviously changed, the, the eternal hopes that you've had are still intact. And, and perhaps there's lessons that have already, that will come into your family and are coming into your family that you see the lives your, your three children are living that are here on the earth. And as they become parents and grandparents, they recognize this part of, of your family chapter has brought great pain, but also great um, skills that have helped your whole family in ways that you never thought possible and that you would obviously never wish this on your own family or on others. But, you know, I have to thank your daughter on her mission in Arizona is reaching some people in a way that would never be possible if this hadn't happened. I don't think God then made this happen so that she could be a more effective missionary. I don't want to say that. Right. Um, Cause that just isn't the God I believe in. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just really complex. And you guys should, you know, I don't want to give my personal revelation and say that's what's going on here, but it's just some thoughts, more thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners before we um, close up. Um, do we want to share that story about the trek? Do share more stories. Yeah. We have a good story that we feel like does sum up the message we would love to end with, I guess. Um, you want, to you want me to? Okay. So um, this was, was it the mm-hmm. year, a couple of years ago, our, our uh, stake was doing a, in, instead of a normal youth conference that year, they were doing a pioneer track. And, um, and it just happened to be that at that same time, um, Luke was having some problems with his, with his feet. He had a skin condition. He'd been to the dermatologist and the, the dermatologist said, you know, you need to keep your feet dry. You can't be doing anything that will aggravate them. And this, this trek was going to be walking miles and miles, getting your feet sweaty or, you know, they, they were going to have to uh, trudge through creeks and all kinds of stuff. And we finally told Luke, you know, we don't think you can go on this. And we made that decision. And he was really upset about it because Luke, whatever was going on, Luke wanted to be involved. He, he loved like any kind of adventure, adventure or... Um, I don't think he cared about the spiritual part of it so much. He wanted the adventure track. Yeah. Yeah. So he was really, really. But at the the time I was on the high council and I was working um, pretty closely with our stake president and, and he, um, I don't remember how he found out. I must've told him in passing or something that Luke wasn't going to be going on, on the trek. And, and he he didn't accept that answer. He said, oh, yes, he is. And he, he said, um, I'd like to, I think this was on a Sunday. He said, I'd like to come to your house tomorrow and personally invite him to the trek. And he, um, he showed up at our house the next day and personally invited Luke to the trek. And he said, we will accommodate you. 
and they ended up Luke ended up going on the track and they he got to walk some of it but usually he was riding in a vehicle um but it was just it was so touching how you know he he didn't want to leave Luke behind he he recognized yeah. Luke had a challenge but you know we'd we'd meant no no offense to any of the other um youth leaders but they had kind of accepted the fact well yeah he he's got this issue he can't really do the trek so um but our stake president wouldn't stand for that he's like no we're not leaving any any youth behind he's going to be on that trek tell us your and, stick uh, president's name um he's he's actually he moved away um right before luke passed away um but his name's rick anderson thank you president anderson it sounds like your current stick president's doing a good job too he's wonderful too yeah, yeah. president jameson but yeah the thing i took away from that was just i just felt so overwhelmed with like he wasn't going to leave luke behind and i i actually there's so much more to our story that we, you know, we can't share in an hour, an hour and a half, but um, Luke, Luke felt left behind in, in a lot of ways, um, in different, different areas of his life. And, and he wasn't always accepted fully. And he, he just knowing that someone loved him and wanted, um, wanted him to come, like he would not leave him behind. And I feel like that's a message to everyone like let's not leave people behind those that are different those that feel you know if they have mental health issues if they have you know if they're lgbt or if they have anything that makes them feel a little bit on the outside um let's don't leave them behind let's let's let them know we'll we'll make a way and you can be a part of us and anyway that that's the message i would just love to have everyone always you know have and feel and i'm trying to take that to my to heart as well for me um what a great a, phrase let's don't leave anybody behind yeah everybody should feel like they belong um and we need everybody and that state president came back for the funeral and spoke wow. um, he flew in from boston i think yeah. i think he had some other things to do as well but he made time to come and speak at Luke's funeral and, and spoke of all kinds of good things about our son. It was beautiful. Would each of you just talk directly to Luke? Would you, that be okay? Is that too personal? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love when you said the prayer before we began, you invited Luke to be here and I hadn't thought of it that way. So I guess if I could, if I could talk to Luke, I mean, I hope, I hope everything you said, Richard, today um, is true that, that Luke, I hope you feel our love and feel um, just how much we're with you and we support you and, and just love you. And we are so sad that we can't live the rest of our lives with you, but um, all I need as a mom is to know that you're happy and you're at peace. And that is all I care about. I wish you could have had that here, but I hope you can have it there. And that's all I want is your happiness. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm speaking to Luke, right? So Luke, I would say everything mom said, um, 
we love you so much. We miss you. Um, I, I regret as a dad that I was pretty strict on you a lot. I, I wish I had, um, I wish I had spent more time expressing how much I love you and, and not, um, as much, um, uh, focusing on, you know, how you could improve on things. Um, and, um, we, I, I want you to know that we accept you fully, um, every part of you, your sexual orientation, everything. And, and, um, I, I wish, I wish I'd had more time with you to, um, as I was learning about things like, like, um, like your sexual orientation, I was trying to learn more about that. And I feel like I kind of ran out of time to, to really, um, handle it the best way I could, but I want you to know that I'm still fighting for you and, and, um, and I, I still do everything I can for you, um, while I'm still on this earth and, um, look forward to being with you again as soon. Well, not as soon as possible, but, um, yeah. someday. Oh, that was, thank you. That was really nice. It was really tender. On behalf of all our listeners, thanks for doing that. I, some of your kids are going to use Luke and their names of their kids or oh, middle names. <laughs> um, this name of Luke is going to be part of your family and honored in ways that will help heal you and bring all of you. And I just... You know, obviously I can't speak for Luke, but the impression I has is he just loves you. He didn't expect you to be perfect parents. You're the perfect parents for him. And you did, if he could just, he just wants you to know that, that he loves you and you, were, and you are the perfect parents for him. You don't need to be perfect to do that. And he knows you love him and you did everything you could and, and he's okay. He's in a good spot and he's very at peace with his mortal mission and his eternal plan hasn't changed. And he loved having his name called at high school graduation. Yep. Um, Cause he earned it. And, and I love this symphony idea of his music and how that transcends the veil and connects you to him. Every time you hear the cello and the piano and musical instruments, that that's a sign. Um, of Luke and your connection with Luke. So on behalf of all of our listeners, I think 10 or 20,000 people are going to listen to this podcast and you have blessed a lot of people. And I think I just, all of them would love to just look you in the eye and give you a big hug and thank you for being on the podcast and your courage and your faith and your vulnerability and your honesty. And, you know, you're just healing a lot of people. We do use this quote a lot, the wounded healer. A minister service will not be perceived as, as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he or she speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of the desert by someone who's never been there. So you know the, 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 the barrenness of deserts last November of 2019, and you just didn't walk out of that desert yet. You're in that desert for life in some ways. That desert at times gets better but it's, it's, it's just difficult desert, but you're helping other people and giving other people hope and you're leading them to the edge of that desert where there's just more light and goodness and hope and green. And I think that honors Luke too, um, for what you're doing in healing and helping other people. 
and and bringing more awareness to suicide. Um, so anything else either of you want to share? It's always hard to end these podcasts. I just, anything else either of you want to share? I'd just, I'd just like to thank you, Richard, for all that you do. Um, I, I, I found out about your podcast um, when Stacy Harkey from Studio yeah. C came out. I, I think he had a link to your podcast and I just became hooked on it. And this was before Luke passed away and it, it really helped help me um, prepare for that. And also, um, you know, because a lot of your podcasts are focused on LGBT issues, it really helped me to, I even shared some of them with Luke to show him, Good. you know, I'm, I'm trying as your dad to understand this. And I've been listening to these podcasts and, and I think you're doing a, a wonderful service for everyone. So thank mm -hmm. you for and I know you don't get paid to do this. You don't have sponsors. Thank you for Thank you, taking Greg. the time and effort to do this. Thank you, yeah. Greg. Thanks for letting us share your, our story. Um, suicide is something people are afraid to talk about. And we, we actually haven't been asked very often to share our story. That's why I think my blog, I needed some outlet. And um, so I'm really, thank you. Well, thank you. Um, so this is... On behalf of Krista and Greg and Luke Evans, this is Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.